What's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast presented to you by Texas Pete. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, most pressing question I have to ask you, did you turn back your clocks? Um, Man, that was a nice little gift at like 1 a.m. last night. I was like, oh my goodness, I, I got a good amount of sleep. Got to be here bright and early. I woke up early this morning, dude. Made some coffee. It was great. Whoa, how about it? Yeah, the uh, the Saturday night when you are watching, covering, whatever you want to talk about, consuming college football, and you see that clock go from two back to one, it's a great feeling. It's a great feeling. I personally was very low of my expectation. We're going to get into everything week 10. We're not just going to talk about daylight saving time. And people forget it's daylight saving time, not daylight savings time. Um, Mm -hmm. Need that on the record. But that moment when it goes back from two to one, I always think to myself, oh, this is nice. This is really nice. And then this morning, Claire fortunately slept in really, really late. I realize this is probably the last time where she will sleep in. And parents of young kids, you just wake up at like 530 instead. And you're like, oh, my, my day just started earlier. I did not get an extra hour of sleep. But nonetheless, it does feel nice for a very brief second. Um, but yes, there are probably a lot of fan bases in the SEC that wish they could turn back time. Shout out to Cher. We're going to get to yours one of those fan bases that wish they can turn back time. Week 10 was kind of what I hoped it would be with a noon slate that was almost too much at times. It was, was electric. That noon slate, man. Okay, like we got the, the triple box. Clemson fumbling at the end of that game and almost giving Notre Dame a chance. The fact that, not you know, I'm sure you guys have all Googled the scores. The fact that two teams lined up for like like – last second field goals and we'll get into what happened but i was sitting there it was right as my boys were getting there it was the most electric thing of all time watching two kicks go up at the same time on the last second insane dude i wanted to stagger it a little bit more because i'm I'm like trying to follow these three things and by the way even the battle of the gamecocks that was going down to the wire for a bit and then the pick six from stone blanton that that changed things and the way that game was looking we're like oh my god are we gonna have rich rod beating shane beamer to eliminate south carolina from bowl eligibility that doesn't end up happening we're not going to dig into that one but there was so much happening so we will get into all of that stuff we got to start though of course with the showdown in tuscaloosa alabama is able to fend off lsu the game was everything i hoped it would be until it wasn't that's Mm -hmm. For a, a neutral perspective, which I realize is different than yours in this game, that's that was my my main takeaway because these quarterbacks were great when they were both on the field. They ran for a combined like, more than 300 yards. I mean, it, it was incredible to watch some of the things that they were doing in space. We had highlight plays galore. The QBs were just so unbelievably decisive, and it was so fun to watch. When LSU got the ball to start the second half, and Jaden hit Neighbors on the right sideline with one of the best throws I've ever seen him make, and somehow the body control of Malik Neighbors to not have his right foot go out of bounds on that play, you're just thinking to yourself, man, that is that LSU is, is, is ready to make this a 60-minute game, and, and man, they just might win it, especially after they go up early in the second half. And then LSU not being able to stop Bam on the ground. There was never any adjustment to Jalen Milrow. At one point, the CBS crew catches Matt House with shoulders shrugged, just the shoulders shrugged emoji, kind of summed up his day with the LSU defense, which we knew was going to be a long one. So I, I, I say all that because while Bama once again overcame a second half deficit, did so thanks in part to the legal Dallas Turner tip on the 
probably lone true Jaden Daniels mistake of the day that mm-hmm. led to the Terry and Arnold pick. Um, and, and that was a huge play in the game. I hate, just hate the way that it played out with Jaden Daniels going down the way that he did and what it meant for that game. A game that in my opinion, I'd still probably say Bama deserved to win. But Will, when you watch your guy, Jaden Daniels, Heisman candidate, a guy that you said, you know what, LSU, as long as he is out there on that field, he can overcome that bad defense. When he goes down on a play in which we're all watching in real time going, oh, certainly that's targeting, and then it's reviewed, but not ruled targeting. When you're watching Mm -hmm. that happen and your guy leaves the game for one play and then he has to leave the game for a lot more the rest of the night, what's going on in your head? Oh, man. So uh, I'll say this. like This was the most stress-free Bama game I've ever taken in until that happened. And, I mean, my boy Peyton moved back to Atlanta. We got 100 wings between the three of us, me, him, and John. We were having a, a lot. great time. It's it a was lot. A you know, like, I'm doing the math in my head. I'm thinking to myself, even if there are small wings, that mm-hmm. that's 33 per lad is – look, there, there are, you cannot set that number too high. It, it's a lot. I, I'm just imagining your leftovers are going to be – for the next few days. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. A hundred percent. It was funny because like one of the, one of the orders was kind of a miss. So we ended up actually getting about like 20, 25, which is like perfect. But yeah, I mean, halftime of this game after we scored, you know, with like a minute drive, we go down there to, to tie it up, getting the ball back at half. We are outside smoking out of a Gandalf pipe. We are having, we, are, we have Lord of the Rings music going. Cause John's like not a sports guy. I was like, you know what? This is your vibe. Let's have a good time. We were chill. Um, and the reason was, and I just kept laughing and saying, we have Jaden Daniels, um, which, I mean, credit to Dallas Turner. He fully understood that that was what we had, uh, because once they took him out of the game, it was a completely different game. And I credit to Alabama for finishing the play uh, when Mizzou hit him in the end zone and almost knocked him out of the game. He was able to come back and beat them. So Wait, was- quick, I, real quick. I think Dallas Turner just hates quarterbacks. And if you look at his what he did last year to Jackson Dart, the play right. where he just rips his helmet off. Even the play where he drives Quinn Ewers into the ground in that Texas game last year, and he's and he's hurt on that play. I'm not saying that that's a dirty play. I think Dallas Turner just hates quarterbacks in general and just kind of blacks out near them. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that that makes what he did acceptable, but I don't think it was personal of, I need to take out Jaden Daniels because I realize he's the best player on the field. Yeah, I mean, any other team, I feel like you'd probably call that coaching, um, but we don't do that here. So <laughs> all, I'm, all I'm saying with that is, you know, and we talked about it during the game. LSU was averaging 10 yards a play when Jaden Daniels went down. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, you had a pick. I get it. You know, that that's a mistake. I understand that. Bama was able to force their, their you know, lone punt of LSU and Daniels out there after a holding call, and then a drop by um, Taylor. I get it. That was their stop up until that point. Um, but, yeah, I just – I, I've said this to you, and I, I guess I said it outside. There is no amount of deficit that will make me feel like I'm in trouble or I'm worried with Jaden Daniels. And that's something I didn't even feel as much with Burrow because they were never behind. But with Jaden, he is a comeback artist. I saw him score, you know, four, well, 13 points against FSU. He, he obviously did enough to score 14 points in like a minute of game time. And, and, you know, the thing about it is when he needed back-to-back touchdowns when they were down seven, he got them. So that's why that was so disappointing to me because obviously, and we talked about it in the, in the lead up, man, our defense is horrible. I mean, it's so freaking bad. And I wasn't saying that to make excuses, but you saw it. I mean, <laughs> I mean what could you say about that defense, really? 
that I don't think that defense would have made enough stops to win that game. Down two touchdowns in that spot. As great as Jaden is. Well, they, they forced him to miss field goal after that. Forced him to miss. Yeah. I mean, they, so yeah. So they I got guess, a stop right after that. They, they did indeed get a stop. I think mm-hmm. Bama plays it a little bit differently too, knowing that, okay, if they have to keep scoring, there's a little bit of a different game plan offensively. They're throwing it a little bit more. It's not as one dimensional. Look, I, I will. I will sit here until like we'll 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 talk in circles about how much that sucks and how much I think LSU still had plenty of points left on the board if Jaden is out there. D- LSU defense is bad. It's it's bad. Oh, Not it's horrible. Wingo. <laughs> Mekhi, Mekhi Wingo is the is the most missed player in that game, with the exception of Jaden being out during the time that he was out. Like no yep. no doubt about it in my mind. And to allow they allow like three hundred rushing yards. Yep. To Bama and the DBs the were fine. We had 18-year-olds playing DB across the board. They did an okay job. Obviously, it was these grown-ass men in the front seven. Spates, that dude needs to go back to the West Coast. It was the grown men that lost out of defense. And both teams looked like every single time Jaden or Jalen would get into the open field with their legs, they were just on skates the, the entire yep. time. And I don't know that I've ever watched a football game in which the quarterback run game looks so in control and so decisive. And so that back and forth was so fun to be able to watch. It almost felt like at one point, you know, and, and Milrow ends up with four rushing touchdowns and what Jaden ended up with like three or something too. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, how about what if we just made this rule where the only way these teams can score is is via a rushing touchdown from the quarterback. I think that the offense would still look exactly the same because it was that good, but it sucks that that happened for a variety of reasons, because it muddies the waters on what that ending could have been. I think we would have gotten a memorable ending wherein we would have maybe, you know, who knows, maybe it's 49, 42 and one team has to get a stop or something like that. But it, it, it stripped that ending from us. And instead a Heisman candidate, a guy who, in my opinion, still worthy of that consideration. Jaden Daniels plays the rest of the season, and he's not out. Who knows? He was in concussion protocol. He was in the injury 10th rest of the game. If he plays the rest of the season like he did on Saturday night, that dude should go to New York. There's, And I know his, his Heisman odds dipped tremendously. And to me, it's not even fair that Jalen Milrow and Carson Beck have better odds than him because everything that I have seen from that guy tells me he is mm-hmm. – a historically good player. And that was on display that night. Like there's just no doubt about it in my opinion. And look, Bama fans are, are getting after me in the mentions for, I didn't even tweet that it was definitively that it was targeting. I tweeted the, the video and said like, look at like this, this hit was so violent from Dallas Turner and everybody's saying, Oh, it's just a football player. It's just a football play. Bama fans, go back to that Bryce Young hit at Tennessee last year and tell me that that's just a football play, too, and that you were perfectly fine with the way that was called. To well, me, it was illegal in three different ways. I mean, he fully landed on him, which you're not supposed to do. He roughed the passer, which you're not supposed to do. He landed with his helmet and contacted the other player's helmet. So you could call that four. So, yeah, I mean, defending that hit is one of the – it's part of the course. The last two are what, what are called all the time in college. Yep. I don't know the, – the landing penalty is called more in the NFL than it is in college. And, and that's kind of where, where we get a little bit of that gray area with targeting that nobody really knows what it is because we see it called in the NFL all the time, the mm-hmm. landing. And you're like, where, where is this guy supposed to land? Whereas in college, they don't really look at the end of the play so much as they do the beginning of the play. And we've seen so many plays at this level where you just think it's a routine hit. And you're like, that's a four-yard gain, and it's a linebacker who, yeah, I mean, I guess he lowered his head a little bit. 
but so did the running back. And now you're going to yeah. eject the linebacker from the game because he kind of lowered his head. And so for those calls to be made and then to see that one in that spot, and I, yeah. I don't think that the quality of players should make a difference, but it shouldn't have hurt Jaden Daniels in that spot. There's just no way. To me, I looked at that. I thought it was targeting. It doesn't change the result, and that is Jaden Daniels left the game, and that sucked, and that's super unfortunate. And given Dallas Turner's history with quarterbacks, people are going to point and say that's a dirty play, that's a malicious play, and he's kind of earned some of that. I, I hated all of it. I hated absolutely all of it because it was a great game that's in many ways going to be overshadowed by a play that, um, look, I guess Bama is the winner, but in my opinion, nobody really wins from a play like that. Yeah, I mean, and this isn't even mean. It's the truth. It's like they set out to end Jaden Dan- Daniels, Heisman, and They did that. Uh, Michael Payne uh, let's, more or less wrapped it up. Come on. They, they, they Seeking to end his Heisman. Dallas Turner is not breaking the huddle and saying, you know what I'm about to do right now. So I'm about to knock this guy clean out of the game and make sure that he doesn't go to New York. There's, it's, I, you, you were talking about the three times he'd done it. I wasn't even thinking about that. If I if I rang your doorbell, you said, hi, I'm Connor, and I slapped you in the face. And then tomorrow, you rang the doorbell, I slapped you in the face. The third time, you're going to go, okay, well, you know, maybe this guy's nice. Maybe he's going to give me a cookie. I forgot he had two other times. I would. Well, I brought up the two other times because they were violent acts on a quarterback. I don't know that <laughs> you could point to the Quinn Ewers thing and say, that was malicious intent. It was a free run at a quarterback, and he, he didn't hit him in the, as high as he did with with the play on Jaden, the Jackson Dart play, and also where he like shoved him, shoved him back into the turf. Right. That those plays I looked at, and I was like, yeah, those are dirty plays, hundred percent dirty plays. I could still probably make the case that the and I'm not defending Dallas Turner. That's not that's not what I'm here to do. It was slightly different than maybe the Ali Gay hit last year against. Now that State. was a dirty play. Now you talk about dirty hit. That was that was one where he launched at Jordan Travis and everybody and their mother looked at it and said, "Oh yeah, he's he's gone. <laughs> get, get, him, get him out of this game." Wait, let me say one more. Let me say one more. This was so clearly retaliation that it was funny to me. The Major Burns hit on Jalen Bilrow where he like swan dived his head into him and then he played for a play and then he was out the next play. That was the that was insanely dirty. But again, that's retaliation. When you knock out a guy's quarterback like that, it's actually shocking that that's the most LSU did because usually guys, you know, it's it's like the baseball mentality. So I'm actually shocked this game didn't end in a fight. And that actually goes to show like coaching on both sides because I mean, look at Florida, Tennessee. It's like after a guy gets hit like that, you yeah. really hope that nothing else happened. If it's just Major Burns injuring himself, it's like, all right, buddy, I'm glad to see this fire in your belly for once. Yeah. Let's let's talk about Jalen Morrow a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. He balled. He balled, man, and I get it. It's against a bad LSU defense, of course, and there are a lot of a lot of guys who have gone off against this LSU defense. But he is so improved since that Texas game. And if you go back to the types of mistakes that he was making early on in the season, you see that maturation to where you kind of think, man, it didn't really take much to fool him. It wasn't like it was Texas's skill that forced him into those two picks. It was scheme that forced him into those two picks. And if you had told me earlier in the year, Will, Bama, LSU, when those two teams line up and they play in the first weekend of November, if you had told me this way back in September and said, this game, there, there are going to be 70 points scored in this game, I'd say advantage LSU. Uh, give me LSU in a shootout. That's not the type of game that Bama is going to win. Bama had not won a game in which it allowed 28 points since the 2021 Arkansas game. Even last year with Bryce Young, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. 
of how much it felt like they were fighting in these games and down to the wire. They weren't playing in these shootouts last year. And this Mm -hmm. felt more like a shootout. And to see Milrow look so decisive to me was the biggest difference. He has so much confidence in his legs. Part of that, maybe Tommy Reese deserves credit for, for listening to what every Bama fan and their mother was saying of why are there not more designed runs for this guy? I don't even know that it's so much the designed runs. It's when things break down, you say, oh, crap. When did you feel, as an LSU fan, when did you feel worse? It was when Jalen put the ball in his arm and tucked it and ran. Those were probably the moments in which you thought, oh, boy, we might be in trouble, even more so than when he's when he's cocked back and he's mm-hmm. trying to target somebody deep. Is that fair? Yeah, 100%. And I, I will give uh, Jalen credit in this way. It's like the old version of him. Like, I was worried about him uncorking these, like, deep passes. And I don't, I don't know if those weren't there last night, but whatever it was, it was like he was able to take the yardage where it was there. Like he wasn't yeah. trying to hit the home run play. Sometimes it was a five-yard play where a guy, you know, missed a tackle, or it was just a five-yard play. Sometimes it was him just getting outside, um, and and it was barbecue chicken all night. I mean, it, I don't know what the decision was, you know, with Harold Perkins and the spy or whatever, but he he knew whenever you know the play lasted about three or four seconds, he could reset his feet and take off. Nobody was catching him. Nobody was catching him. The play where Mil- where Milrow actually did get tracked down by Harold Perkins, and he ends up having to bring him down by the horse collar or something like mm-hmm. that. And you're like, man, it's- which you can throw a flag on. I learned on that play. <laughs> you can. To, to be you fair, you actually was- can when the, when the quarterback gets brought down by his horse collar. You can throw a flag on that. Anyway, yeah, that, I don't know why they didn't call that one. Uh, where where Jade uh, the amount of missed face mask and horse collar penalties. Yeah, it's a physical uh, game. I'm not going to complain about this. Is a physical game. It, yeah. it is an epidemic this year in college football. At least it feels like it. At least they got the clapping figured out. <laughs> they, they do. Disconcerting signals. Everybody knows now. Everybody gets it. Yep. Uh, no, not really. The time that we saw Jalen Milrow make that little flip to Jace McClellan, where oh he's kind of backing up, and the amount of touch that was on this pass, that play right there where McClellan gets it in stride and takes off, and it's like a 41-yard gain or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. That was the type of play that Jalen Milrow does not make early in the year. He panics. He drifts out of bounds. He takes that maddening four-yard loss where I'm like, Jalen, you need to throw the football away. You are losing yards. You are leaving a $5 bill on the table every single time you do this. And instead of doing that in that spot, he has enough presence of mind. He is comfortable enough. The game has slowed down for him enough to be able to say, oh, I've got Jason McClellan right there. And if I just put enough touch on this, that was a Bryce Young type play. That's what that mm-hmm. reminded me of. And I was like, holy crap, he is really, really dialed in. It helped that I thought the protection was better than it's been. He only got sacked twice, which that means the streak of getting sacked at least four times in a game, that's finally over for him. But he's improved. It, it's as simple as that. He has benefited from getting more reps. And look, I have been critical of him in the past, and I think early on, He deserves some of that criticism with the type of mistakes that he was making. But the guy has only thrown two picks in his last five games. Bama is still sitting there perfect in SEC play, despite the fact that they face these deficits. They've probably felt like they've had their backs against the wall more times than typical Bama teams with the amount of times they've trailed at halftime. It's just a reminder of why this team is still so unbelievably well-coached. And for all the talk about nine and three, you know, eight and four, 
And all that talk in the preseason that resurfaced right after the Texas game, right after the USF game, the Saban guy knows what he's doing. That's not not in-depth analysis. You've heard it before. You'll hear it again. The Saban guy knows what he's doing, beating him in consecutive years. There's a reason why this is such an unbelievably difficult feat to accomplish. And it felt like LSU was on a little bit of the wrong end of that for for certain areas of this game. Now, Jaden balled out in consecutive years against Bama and mm-hmm. Malik Neighbors, the plays that that guy is making. We're gonna, I, I have a Malik Neighbors question that we'll ask in Yar now later. But the ability to run it back against this team is hard, even when you're close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just they still find a way. The whole fourth quarter. My preseason prediction will. And I was wondering if this was going to play out. My preseason prediction was that LSU was going to win this game. Jaden was going to get hurt. Garrett Nussmeyer was going to lead a comeback. If that had played out, and look, I know I totally went back on my preseason prediction by saying, I actually think Bama now is going to win this game, looking at the way that this set up during the week. But if that had played out, look, would I have screenshotted my crystal ball wherein I said that? Yes, I admit that. It happens, but that, Garrett Nussmeyer was put in a, a really bad spot, and we're we're reminded the separation between those two is pretty significant, and it's because of Jaden, and it's because he's become one of the best players in college football. Yeah, and really, really quick, back to uh, Milrow, I will say I'm so sad that Bond got like another reception after that uh, McClellan play because he was the leading receiver after that play. It was 142 yard just chunk wow. play, and I was like, that would have been so fitting for this game because that was like that was the biggest to me biggest offensive play of the day because it so clearly flipped the drive. It was so massive. So yeah, I I do want to give Milrow flowers, and like I said, Matt House Gulag, like these grown men up front, get them out of here. The young guys that played well. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they played well. Like I said, I was living in fear. Like I told John, I, I'm living in fear of this uh, cockback from Jalen Moe where he just hits somebody wide open. And, yeah, it was just kind of like either they weren't there or didn't take him. didn't matter because they were shredding us. Um, but, yeah, I think um, yeah, I think to your point, like one, one more thing about Jaden. I think the reason I am so protective of Jaden Daniels is because of the amount of just kind of borderline problematic takes I've heard from inside and outside of our fan base about his abilities. And I think that he finally, you know, he had a chance this year to really um, – to, to, to he he has you know proven everyone wrong um but yeah that's why i'm so just like uh, about him more than even like burrow because it's like i think it was pretty clearly like we'd seen someone like burrow kind of before we'd seen that archetype before but with i, I think that this is a story of two quarterbacks in milro and daniels that have progressed a lot you know since they got to campus going back to last year you know milro was a guy who saban was like get, it was like a pot of boiling rice it was like get, get, get this somewhere we can't we can't have this out there and uh you know he's he's grown up a lot he's shown like i mean he's a tank dude i mean i sent you that picture of him and um takeo spikes i was like there's more neck in this this sec nation shot that i've ever seen in my life he's a good dude like from everything i've seen he's a really humble happy dude his he, laugh I, I, is will his laugh is adorable it's, it's crazy. That's a weird thing to say about somebody. I realize that his laugh that he had after the Tennessee win, they even yeah. harked back to it. Jenny Dell brought that up. It's like, that is the most infectious laugh I think I have ever heard. Even the most frustrated LSU fan can admit, I, I wouldn't mind he, hearing Jalen Milrow just laugh at a comedy special or something like that for 20 minutes. 
That'd be great. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be our million dollar idea. It's gonna be Jalen Burrow ASMR. It's just gonna be us watching old like Jeff Dunham bits with Jalen Burrow. But yeah, like seriously, you know, these are two guys that have come a really long way, and it's cool to watch them grow up. And like I said, like you said, Burrow, he's not you know Greg McElroy. He's not a guy that I look at him like I want you to lose so bad. It's cool to see him be successful uh, and really be a guy that you know had these turnover problems and Saban stuck with him outside of the USF game. And, uh, you know, every, all this stuff, both of these guys, all this stuff was stacked against them. I mean, as much as I joke about Nussmeyer and, and Daniels, there was less of a reason to bench Milo against USF, and they did that. And so these guys have felt, you know, the heat on their heels the entire time they've been playing quarterback. And they, in the time they were both in the game, it was completely just kind of like a big bleep you to everyone who had ever doubted them because they did the things that people said they wouldn't do. You know, uh, Jaden was hitting the ball downfield. Milo was not getting the ball downfield, tucking it and running, not taking bad sex not running out of bounds i mean i i think it was as good of a game as those two guys as you could have seen and it's crazy because Jaden finished with more rushing yards with only one touchdown but milro's a tank in the red zone i mean it's like it's like it's like a full-time Taysom hill it's like get out of the way like boom boom it's crazy man the second half defense too for bama that's probably something that needs to be mentioned i was looking this up right now because I'm thinking to myself like god they've been and i guess the arkansas game kind of skews it what they've been doing in the second half but Man, the way that they have put the clamps on, like you go back to, you know, what do they allow? And they didn't allow a touchdown in the second half in that Ole Miss game. Okay, mm-hmm. you go on the road, Mississippi State, that's a game that you're up comfortably. You allow one touchdown in the second half of that one. Um, the AM game, AM didn't have a second half touchdown in that one. Jimbo was like, oh, field goals, they're all the rage. The Arkansas game is the only way that that stat kind of skewed because they had two touchdowns in the second half, but Tennessee gets outscored 27 to nothing in the second half. And then LSU, after how good they looked in the first half offensively, they still only had the one second half touchdown. Now, obviously, the Jaden injury impacted that. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. But, like, they did take away the non-Jaden parts of that ground game. And it felt like at at certain points Malik Neighbors was just going to go off for a 250-yard day. He still ends up with a huge day. But still, there was it felt more difficult for him down the stretch and he wasn't getting the same sort of separation that he was early in the game. So the Bama defense and Kevin Steele, a group that was Come really on, scrutinized. <laughs> you I, set me up here, bro. Come on. You know why Nussmeyer got 30 to 30 on them, bro. I I'm just, I'm just saying, look, what, statistically that, I, probably, but neighbors had 171 yards. <laughs> I'm saying if you want to, if you want to try and find the reasons why Bama is at this place where it is still undefeated in sec play, it is because second in the second half defensively, they have, they have played much better. And yeah. this game is going to be a little bit, you're, you're going to need proper context to be able to evaluate the defensive performance in the second half, obviously, but still, I think that's worth mentioning. And now Bama is sitting in a position that, a lot of people say, that, look, they, they didn't think that they were going to be in their either a mm-hmm. win or an Ole Miss conference loss away from playing for an SEC championship for the 10th time in the Saban era. And Ole Miss proved they <laughs> <laughs> conference almost lose to anybody. So, yeah, I mean, and I will say, like, a win is a win. Like, I, I we thought, I thought Bama would be about a 9-3 and three team this year. They have passed every test, but Texas with flying colors. I think the comeback against Tennessee was hilarious and fun to watch. This was not as hilarious or fun to watch, but still a comeback. You know what I'm saying? So I think that at the end of the day, like it went in the SEC, winning's hard. You know, people that want to sit there and dump on Georgia, you know, for their schedule or whatever, or Alabama for whatever. It's like 
yeah, this is the SEC. Like, you don't get to play, you know, you don't get to struggle against Rutgers and then blow them out. Like, you really got to strap in every single week. We saw that in the Arkansas game against Bama. If you start to, like, kind of fall asleep at the wheel, yep. any of these teams can beat you. So I'm certainly not taking away what Bama has learned as a team this year because I think they've gotten way better on defense, especially since the Texas game. I think offensively they've learned to not make mistakes, and this is a team that is a little bit old school. They're going to run the ball. They're going to – if Milo can get those turnovers down, dude, they're, they're, they're a ter- yeah. terrifying team to play, honestly. Feels like the SEC championship is all but set. Georgia mm-hmm. likely going to be playing Alabama. Um, Georgia basically is the same scenario. They need one, either one more victory or one more Tennessee loss to be able to punch their tickets. So I imagine that there are a lot of Alabama fans. There are a lot of Georgia fans that are booking travel accommodations uh, for Atlanta in December. Let's talk about that game. Mizzou went on the road and look, I thought they gave them a really competitive game and I came away very impressed from Mizzou. And we're going to get to that part of this Um, 26 consecutive Georgia wins, eight consecutive wins against top 15 teams. And let's be clear. Mizzou is not a fraud. Those boys came to play. Mizzou Mizzou (laughs) is the best team that Georgia has faced this year. And I, like Mm -hmm. I tweeted, I don't even think it's that close. I, I think they are a really solid all around team who has a very good chance of finishing in the top 15. And I know that there are no moral victories. And that guy who was shown repeatedly on the CBS broadcast of mimicking, I think it was, who was, whose celebration was he mimicking? It might've been like, I think it might've been, was it Luther Burden? I don't remember. Maybe it was the Cody twist? Schrader. What's that? Like the twist, like the arm twist? Yeah. He was like, he was like doing the twist. And I'm like, all right, guys, yeah. like that's, you're, you're fired up right now. I don't necessarily blame you. Um, but I don't think that this was a game in which Mizzou lost credibility. If anything, they gained it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, since the start of 2021, Georgia chilled in the second half four times in SEC play. Two of them were against Mizzou. Last year, obviously, and then this year's game. Mizzou was ready to roll. Luther Burden had that big play to be able to get oh. on the board. I would have yeah. loved to have heard what he was saying afterwards because he was he was fired up. He was really fired up. Cody Schrader, excellent. Uh, that that Mizzou offensive line is so improved, even just within the season, and, and the ability that they have to be able to create running lanes. Um, it, it was it was a Mizzou team that showed up. I mean, Drink was freaking out on seemingly every single call, and I know officiating was was, was not great. I thought some of those freakouts were justified. That run of, of that Schrader had at the end of the first half where they didn't stop the clock because of forward progress. And they just let it roll when it, I, I thought he was pretty clearly out of bounds. Um, weird, weird move. I, I didn't really get that. Other times I was like, ah, you know what, drink? I think you're going to look in the film room and you're probably going to say, yeah, that, that was pass interference. Um, look, that's to be expected in a game like this, but he was our, our weekly tradition of one of us texting each other. What the hell is that? The other going, man, officiating has been rough. <laughs> Dude, it's, and I don't, I, I'm not guy that's going to get on here and, and break down every single missed call. Lord knows there are plenty of people listening to this where you have your entire screenshot uh, yeah. you know, database of, of missed calls and egregious things that happened to your team in a specific game. And if the moment calls for it, I'll ask for it. But for now, I mean, we will break down some of this stuff. But uh, I do think that there were probably a lot of things that Mizzou, even in a solid performance, wished that they could have had back. Okay, like Mizzou 
had a very, um, I shouldn't say Mizzou. Brady Cook had a very 2022-like play with that Nazir Stackhouse pick. That almost, oh, man. It looked like a thick six, and then they called it back for uh, for the, the blindside block. Mm-hmm. Thought he had an open receiver, in my opinion, when you watch that. And I, I'd have to see the all-22 to know definitively. I thought he had an open receiver on the right side of the play that he just missed. And what is so underrated about that play is that, yes, you get – a very large man who drifted into coverage and, and he used his belly to just absorb the football. Love to see that. Like a little tub of honey. Oh, it was. But how about the pressure by CJ Allen on that play who looked like, I think he was in a spy role. A true freshman stepped in after Jamon Dumas Johnson apparently broke his forearm and he's TBD on what his status is going to be moving forward. So I mean, that's really important for that Georgia defense, but the guy just steps up and makes a, makes a big time play. And it's like, yeah, Kirby, next man up. Cliche. We're all sick of hearing about it, right? But then they just do stuff like that, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. It really is next man up. Just like what we saw with Oscar Delp making a really nice adjustment, I thought, on the football and that Carson Beck pass that I thought was just destined for dirt. And to be able to, to come up with that, it was a nice it was a nice route. It was a nice call by Bobo, I thought, in the red zone to have some anticipation with that. Like, that, that play just – just worked it doesn't mean that because georgia is so next man up that they are invincible but it does mean that nobody is better at just finding another guy and making you feel like they can overcome that that's just what they do and georgia is just so elite at making these adjustments aaron taylor pointed this out on the broadcast when brady cook is getting all these rushing yards in the first half and as Mm -hmm. a fan who watched the opposing quarterback run wild and you're thinking to yourself why can't my defensive coordinator just make these adjustments what is he not seeing why does this keep happening brady cook had 57 rushing yards in the first half then glenn schumann adjusts he has a spy they stop playing so much man coverage they stop turning their back on him so much and boom brady cook minus 18 rushing yards in the second half of that game mm-hmm. luther burden gets over the top 39 yard touchdown outside of that the guy who was top 10 in the country in both catches and receiving yards Two catches for 14 yards. He was pretty much held in check besides that. And the over-the-top stuff just wasn't necessarily there for him. I thought Theo Weiss looked great. but That man, felt- Weiss, that man has made an impression on me, man. He is every he played amazing against LSU. He played amazing against Georgia. He had like two back-to-back plays and like the same weird – I forgot exactly what it was. The same weird thing happened. It was like the snap was off time or something, and they, it was a fourth down like back shoulder throw, and he just like hauled it down and was like, man, you're a pro, man. Part of the reason why Burden has been so good in the slot is because I think there are times where you have to pay attention to Theo Weiss. If you're not paying mm-hmm. attention to him on the outside with some of the things he's doing, you're you're in trouble. And that's why I think Mizzou has been so successful. Is now, now they finally have more offensive versatility. And obviously, if you don't load the box against Cody Schrader in this offensive line, they can make you pay as well. And that's kind of why I thought like Mizzou hung around. They, they made this a, a true game. And Georgia, you know, to its credit, I, I thought the adjustments that they made on Burden were a, a big difference maker in this one. Maybe, you know, somebody who understands defenses even more than I do, but it felt like just watching from home that it was similar to what they started doing with Trey Wilson after he took off on that opening drive. And then they're like, okay, all everything's going to be in front. We're not going to let you get over the top. We're not going to get into one of these one-on-one matchups with a safety over the top where you have a 10-yard head start. That's not going to happen. That's not how we're going to defend you. I just came away from this thinking on the Mizzou side, they are not a fraud. 
that team I think is going to win 10 games this year. It might take a bowl game to be able to get there. Maybe they're going to go nine and three. Maybe they're going to lose that Tennessee game. I don't know, but they are making me continue to feel dumb for doubting their ability to look like one of the more complete teams in the conference. And I, I don't think that's really much of a debate at this point. If you've watched Mizzou get to this point of the season where they're going to head into November looking like this, they have just so many different ways to beat you. And they, they are a fun team to be able to watch, even in a losing effort, a game that obviously would have been program changing for them to go into Athens and Georgia first home loss since 2019. But still, um, I, I, I think Mizzou deserves its flowers for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing real quick, and then I'll get to that because I think you're completely right. Um, if Oscar Delp just had like a full season, like if he just started on Kentucky or something, what what number tied in do you think he'd be in the SEC? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, so if he's getting full starting reps, mm-hmm. if he is still like, you know, his, his age at this point of his career, he's a year right. two guy who played a good amount last year, but still he was tight end three. So he wasn't getting full reps. Um, I can't imagine there would be three tight ends in the SEC better than him. I, yeah. I one, of, one of whom would be Bowers, right? Yeah. If we're including Bowers in that conversation, but if you're asking me what I take Oscar Delp over Trey Knox, yes, yes, I would. Would yeah. I take, um, would I take Oscar Delp over like Nye Black? Nye Black's been pretty versatile for Bama. Um, yes, I think I, I think I still would. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not to say that he is more complete than every one of those tight ends. Like I, I think still as, as a run blocker, he's still, he's still improving. He's still a little bit more of a work in progress. But some of the things you can do with him, man, like this is why Georgia is Georgia. It's they have they have a guy like that. So yes, I think he would probably be an elite tight end. Like coming back next year, is he going to be a preseason all SEC guy? Yeah, I think he will be. Oh yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, I think it, it's so crazy because I think Brock Bowers will give you what three to five plays a game. Then you go, oh my gosh, what was that? Dub will give you two. Yeah, <laughs> yep. that's the, that's the best part. Is it's like they're similar tight ends in that way. Not that I'm going to compare them with a run blocking and all that, but it's like you see the plays he makes, you're like that one. T- oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there on on the Mizzou side of this. It's one of those things, you know. We both picked Georgia big, and and if you if you juxtapose this with the Tennessee game last year, where Tennessee is like you know it's number one team, they come in the Sanford Stadium, their, their dreams just die on national television, and Mizzou just never really got there. I mean, there was like that extra like the extra possession that Georgia got with the the uh, the almost thick six ended up really mattering because Mizzou, you know, if they had had the ball at the end with a chance to tie the game, would have been a little bit different. Um, like it would have felt different. You know what I'm saying? Like that felt academic when they did. That field goal was huge. True freshman yep. stepping up 49 yard field goal to make a six point game, a nine point game after it looked mm-hmm. like Georgia was going to be just knocking on the door of a touchdown. And they had, they had to go and drive to be able to get that field goal. I thought that was a big play in that game. Yeah, hundred percent. Like that weird, like the penalty turned like a huge return that was felt like it was down like the five to all the way across. The, anyway, uh, not gonna get into officiating, but point being, uh, yeah, I I just think that like I said, I came out of this thinking, okay, we finally got to see Georgia, and it's it's one of those where it's like you got the dude who's really good, 
you know, so you have to like kind of limit them. It's like, well, no Brock Powers and you're playing this team. But like still, we got to see Georgia kind of tested. We see we saw Beck be a little bit off time on some stuff. We saw him adjust. We saw Bobo do like some old school Bobo stuff and then quickly get out of it. You know, there was that weird like um, flea flicker type thing. Like he kind of had a little bit of that old Bobo in him in this game. But then he kind of, you know, he figured it out. He, he learned. And that's what we want to see. It's not the same thing. So we want to see teams learn. Most teams progress and prove things to us. I think Georgia did a lot. But, yeah, like I said, I mean, Mizzou, we thought they would come in and just, especially after the playoff rankings, we like like no one was giving them a chance. And so for the boys to be playing for a drink like that is honestly the most impressive thing that he's done in a loss. And we're not moral victory guys, but I would say their performance in this loss against Georgia is better than a lot of their wins just because, you know, it's one thing to, you know, beat Kansas State of this upset. It's one thing to, you know, hang with LSU. Anyone can do that apparently. But to go into Sanford Stadium when everyone knows that Georgia wants to beat the stew out of you yep. and make it a full four-quarter game and make it, like you said, that kick that we talked about their special teams or maybe their weakness all year. Huge kick by Georgia. That's what winners do. You know, your big guys pick off the ball instead of batting it down. Your kicker makes that kick instead of missing it. Um, so that, that's that's winning plays. But it took those type of championship-level plays to get past Mizzou, and I think that's really impressive for Drake. Maybe the most encouraging thing for Mizzou is is how well they played in the trenches against Georgia. I thought mm-hmm. their front seven was great. Carson Beck has not been hit like that all year. He got sacked three times in this game. Uh, and he's he's had a couple of uh, – a few of these games, much like Stetson last year, where I think he would look up and tell you, yeah, I don't think I was touched today. It was always amazing to me when you would go to a post-game press conference and hear Stetson say that after playing Oregon, playing a Dan Landing defense, or even after – White jersey, completely clean. Yeah. It's just like, how you doing, sir? Like, dude, you, you didn't get touched today? There, there are guys that are – I mean, go watch Max Johnson play football. What what would Max Johnson do for <laughs> Please a quarter? Don't. <laughs> yeah. Max Johnson would – like, just give me a quarter of not getting touched and see how that would impact his mental health. I mean, I, I looked at this game, and I, I just came away from it thinking, look, Georgia did not have its best offensive line performance by any stretch of the imagination. They could not get those chunk plays, and yet – it's still a two-score win against another top 15 team. This will not be the highlight of the season for Georgia, but do not take for granted the poise that it takes to do all the little things that Georgia does. And I'm guilty of this. I'm very guilty of this. We spend so much time nitpicking Georgia because they've earned that right. They've earned the right, right. for us to be able to sit back here and nitpick and go, well, how do they do this compared to this other elite team? Or how do they do this compared to their elite teams of the past? And I get it. Whether it's the run defense, whether it's a strength schedule, whatever. We are going to nitpick Georgia. That comes with the territory. And instead, sometimes we don't appreciate days like this and put some of these feats into perspective to be 9-0, and in pursuit of a three-peat, you're heading into the home stretch of the regular season, wherein your best player is still out. Apparently, Brock Bowers running back at practice. TBD on that. Didn't think it was totally fair to say he's out for the season knowing who that guy is. But again, we're not going to put an expectation on when he's coming back, what that looks like. But Georgia's won 26 games in a row. They've won mm-hmm. 41 of their last 42. And like I said, eight in a row against top 15 teams. This is uh, this is getting to the place where we, we do not talk about feats like this very often. This is getting into that territory. It's already at that territory where, look, even if they don't win a national championship this year, it might not ever be as good as what we've seen from this Georgia team for, for this program. This could still be part of this peak and that there's nothing wrong with that. It's not supposed to be like this. 
but it is. And then continue right. to find a way. And oh, by the way, let's criticize Georgia's strength of schedule, or let's not, because they've got a top 10 team coming to town. Ole Miss next week. Can't wait to see that. That's going to be awesome. Really looking forward to that one. Yeah. And also, like, that's why I've been joking about Georgia's schedule all year. Cause, like, dude, they went and they scheduled Clemson. They scheduled Oregon. You know what I'm saying? Like, those they, are like, they get two power five non conference teams, like, most years. They, they are not the yeah, team and, in the SEC to, to criticize what they're scheduling just because the Oklahoma thing got wiped off the board because of expansion. And what are they supposed to do? Go donate money to GT? Like, GT was good for most of our lives. It's not their fault that GT is in shambles. Like, they're not going to sc- uh, scuttle that rivalry because they need that strength of schedule. So it's like, yeah, that's how, you know, we've seen it with FSU. We've seen it, whatever. It's like, even Clemson for a couple of years was like, you got before Dabo, obviously. It's like, yeah, we can't control what other programs are. We're not going to cancel rivalry for strength of schedule. So it's like, yeah, in most years, they're going to end up with, uh, 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 it, well, it doesn't matter because the schedule's changing. But yeah, I just always thought their schedule stuff was stupid. And again, like, they're winning. They're they're winning over and over and over again. They're scheduling good teams. They're overcoming adversity. All the stuff that we've seen, you know, these championship teams struggle with. We saw 2010 Alabama. Let's not talk about 2020 LSU. Uh, <laughs> they didn't follow up with any of that stuff, man, you know? Let's talk about the team that George is going to be seeing next week. Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. This was my favorite type of noon game. Oh, I loved it. When you're starting or finishing the day, you want chaos. You do. Yep. But to me, that that is so ideal. This game had everything, Will. We had the very awkward Jimbo Lane meeting to start. You cannot convince me, if you if you don't know what I'm talking about, where Lane walks over to greet Jimbo and Jimbo kind of is like doing other stuff with like the position coaches or something like that. But Lane is in enough of his peripheral, mm-hmm. definitely butcher that, where he should be able to see Lane walking up to him. And instead, Jimbo kind of turns his back on him a little bit more. And Lane has to tap him on the shoulder and be like, hey, Jimbo, like let's let's do this for the cameras, even though we clearly don't like each other. And we're probably right. not going to say anything more to each other of, oh, how about this beautiful day? Um, That's We've talked about this before. Oh. That's my favorite. When LeBron meets his friends at half court in the NBA and they're telling the funniest jokes of all time. And they're like these big smiles and big laughs. <laughs> like you got to do one of those for the camera to where it looks like you're not a you know piece of crap to recruit and everything. Like I play the that. game. You know how it works. I hate that. Like that uh, miss me with that. Like when LeBron is doing yeah. all that, give me. Give me, Le- give me the, and this is, the, we don't need to get into the LeBron and MJ thing, but give me MJ wrecking Danny Ainge on the golf course and then mm-hmm. looking him in the eye and being like, I'm going to murder you today because we're on a basketball court and that's what I'm supposed to be able to do. Um, but yeah, just a really, really awkward interaction that I'm so glad the cameras caught because that rivalry has kind of been building over the last few years. We had plenty of moments in which Max Johnson was just mashing all the buttons, playing his tail off. Very a very peak Max Johnson type performance, and so many moments in which you're like, "Yep, this is this is what you signed up for. This this is exactly it right here." We had Trey Harris going full Odell Beckham Jr. That catch, mm-hmm. oh my god! Which one, brother? The, the one handed <laughs> on the sideline. That was look that that play that play was so ridiculous that Jordan Rogers on the call didn't even realize he had caught it with one hand because he was looking at the DPI. That mm-hmm. play was so insane and so casual where if I feel like if that happened in a primetime game at night, it would automatically be number one catch of the year. That still might be the catch of the year, the body control that it took to be able to haul that play. That was unreal. We had a blocked field goal returned for a touchdown, which I always love. One of the most excited, exciting, underrated plays in all of football. 
we had a full on wind up, knock you out, nut shot as well. We sure did. Shamar Turner. That's the that's the Shamar we're talking about today. Yes. Probably gonna want that one back. Tough look. I don't know what the all twenty two is gonna tell us about that one, other than um look. He retaliated, he retaliated in a pretty violent way. And I say retaliate because it looks like the Ole Miss offensive line was just kind of standing over him. Um, yeah. There's that's, one of those, that's like a guy code thing. Like, you just don't do that. I don't know. I've always thought that was a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, look, you can find the, the clip out there of what the Ole Miss offensive lineman was doing. I don't want to bring up the verb of what he was doing, but you know what I'm oh, talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah. you, yeah. Um, but still. A little bit, maybe a little bit of justice there. <laughs> Maybe, you know, like, but at the same time, to go full on uppercut, yeah. I was like, "Whoa, that is." Uh, haven't seen that one, that card play in, in a bit. But yeah, this game was incredible, and of course, the ending. Lane sweating out his defense, attempting to get some sort of a late stop. Which, I, yeah, I guess a tipped field goal is is a defensive stop. We'll count it. It's more of a special team stop than a defensive stop, I guess. I, I whatever. Um, but Ole Miss is able to survive this one. It turns out Vegas knew exactly what it was talking about with that three-point spread, one that I questioned, and I was like, what, what are they seeing that I'm not? They, they see everything because that's what they do. Also, um, I might have gotten a little bit ahead of myself with praising the Pete Golding defense because A&M deserves credit. They, they definitely do, but think about this. No Evan Stewart. He was out. He tried to give it a go in pregame warm-up, so you're without your best receiver, um, they lost Moss in this game as well. Le'Veon Moss, who was already like, he was looking awesome in the first half of this one. I think, I can't remember what he left with, but you are playing with a backup quarterback and Max Johnson, albeit a good one. One of the best backup quarterbacks, I think in college football, as good of a situation as you can ask for. And Ole Miss had to hold on for dear life, even on a day in which the Ole Miss offense, I thought played really well and had some of the balance that, that we were hoping to see early in the season. We saw that on display against a very talented AM defense. I'm not saying that Ole Miss needed style points. They, they definitely don't. But that felt like the type of game that we have seen throughout the Kiffin era, wherein you're, you're just like, wait a minute. You're, you're not going to be able to put this team away. Why can you not get these defensive stops? How are you letting these teams hang around? Just no faith in the defense. Offense has to do all the heavy lifting. But still, I don't think Ole Miss cares. And I'm not saying that they should care because at this point you have the one loss, just keep winning football games. And if you win the football game next week at Georgia, nobody's going to care about style points. It's not the way this works at this point. So that, that I guess is, is the biggest victory. And I owe Ole Miss an apology. I do. I, I really do. I had him six and six. Mm-hmm. Lane's tweet called me out. I, I think I gave him the yummy rat poison. That's what I did. So you're welcome. Really? You, you provided service. Yeah. Whatever. I, hey, they're eight and one. They're better than I thought they would be. Give Ole Miss credit. Um, but yeah, pretty impressive performance. Can we talk about Trey Harris real quick? Oh man, I would love. That's what I was about to say when you said one of the craziest. I was like, I feel like he had three of them. That dude. Let me just real quick read his line, and then you go up. Eleven receptions, two thirteen, and a tutty for an average of nineteen point four. The okay, it's one thing to have four big catches and end up with one fifty. 11 receptions for 213. Okay, go on. Loud, too. Loud. Loud, yeah. Not not. you look up at the box score and you're like, wait a minute, that guy already has over 200 receiving yards? No, 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 it no. It felt no. like 400. 
I'm I'm glad that he transferred to Ole Miss simply for the sake of if he was playing Louisiana Tech's schedule, that would be a cheat code. That would not be fair. But yep. seeing what he has done when he has been healthy, if he would have not missed those two and a half games early in the year after he had like four touchdowns and that and his first game in an Ole Miss uniform, then he was he was banged up in the two lane game and he missed a couple games after that. We would be talking about him in a really similar conversation. I'm not going to say Malik Neighbors, but we would be putting him in the same conversation as Burden and Legat. He has been mm-hmm. that good and like a true number one. And for a team that already has Dayton Wade, Dayton Wade has turned himself into a guy that looks like a number one. And Ole Miss just has so many of these options, and it's incredible to see. And when AM is just going to be like, oh, we're, we're not going to cover Jordan Watkins and Lane's trick play – Alleged trick play. I didn't see the all twenty-two of that. Mm-hmm. When when AM is going to do that, just forget about it. You're you're not going to be able to stop this this team. I, I I would love to be able to see the full replay of it was Jordan Watkins running off the field, but not running fully off the field, and then AM looking up as he's about to catch a pass and run into the end zone for twenty nine yards. I would love to have seen what the communication like was back and forth to make AM think that he was off the field and that he wasn't mm-hmm. part of the play. Pretty well done. Pretty well done. Like the, yeah. the AM or uh, not the AM, the Johnny Manziel Browns play that didn't count that trick play. Uh, mm-hmm. sim- similar vibes to, to something like that. Very well done. Um, yeah, I, I'll just echo all that. I think that this was just the most apex game of both of these coaches who, like you said, clearly hate each other. I think Jimbo had such an opportunity to, I mean, I texted you, I was like, you know, what's the last time? There was a stat from a stat guy on Twitter, which I'm not going to verify because that's, I mean, whatever. But they said that Jimbo's last uh, AP ranked win on the road was at FSU in uh, 2016. I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be such a program changer for Jimbo. They could get down there, get all those recruits back, you know, on board, do everything. And of course, like it was the uh, the Wee Fence the game changer phase of the game that, that changed it for Ole Miss, which like you said, their defense couldn't do anything. And to be clear, they really like clamped it, uh, and him down. I feel like early, like, I feel like Max Johnson looked lost the exact play. I texted you was so funny. The exact play I talked about where Pegues like just went unblocked through the a gap and he was just chasing Max Johnson around in the very next play. He got a sack. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is theater. But yeah, I, I think that their defense played well until it didn't, but Thankfully, it wasn't the offense that had to go in and win this, but it was like a nice little weekend, nice little special teams thing at the end. So it's poetic, and this this dream season for Ole Miss keeps keeps rolling. And yeah, the most chaotic, hilarious thing would be Ole Miss just beating Georgia and suddenly just clearly having a stranglehold on the SEC West. That would be that would be head scratching, um, given how little time we have spent talking about Ole Miss as a true contender. I'm admitting, right? I, I mean, that would catch us off guard. Everyone in this field. There was the the post game moment with friend of the program Katie George asking Lane about what could be the biggest game in program history next week at Georgia, and Lane's response was classic Lane. He's like, "I didn't even know who we were playing, but thanks for reminding me." Lane knew, yeah, Lane knew. Um, and he also knew he was about surviving and advancing a game like this against a coach that he has developed quite the fun rivalry with tempo versus talent. Something that's been brought up. I don't know that that Lane can play that card as much now that Petrino's on board and they they do run more tempo than what they did yeah. uh, in previous years. But the A and M side, serious. how's that for talent? Yeah, dude. Trey, that was I, the most talented dude of that field. I don't I don't care what the stars tell me about Trey Harris. That dude is he is talented. NFL talent. You got a five star heart. All right. 
Right. That's a throwback. <laughs> easy, easy, Butch. Yeah, we don't need to go there. AM just lost by six points or fewer for the seventh time since the start of last season, which as I was watching SEC final, they noted that is tied for most in FBS. Not great. Nine consecutive true road losses for AM, tied for the longest streak in program history. A five and four start for AM means that they will be lucky to have people making the eight and four jokes. And I don't think people would make the eight and four jokes if they got there, because if they did, that would mean Owen at LSU. And we probably have a different sort of narrative about AM. Um <laughs> anything's possible, brother. This is KG territory for this for this LSU defense. Uh, look, <laughs> Jim Jimbo can say it's a play here, it's a play there. And I do think they deserve credit for for the way that they showed up in this game, mostly on the offensive side. Um, for, for making this a true four quarter game on the road, top 10 team, like I'm, I'm not going to do the thing where they say, wow, what's, what's wrong. How are they such a disaster? But Lane got to Ole Miss two years after Jimbo got to college station. Mm-hmm. Lane had a defense that didn't suck in 2021 with DJ Durkin and then Jimbo stole him. last year. Lane had a 2023 quarterback lined up, Marcel Reed. Jimbo steals him right before the early signing period. Lane will never have the same resources as Jimbo at AM. That's just, that's a fact. You can talk about the Grove Collective and all these different things. It's just never quite going to be at the level that AM is at with the amount of money that they've committed to that program. But think about it. I mean, Lane's the one that's getting the big time showdown at Georgia with huge implications in November. And Jimbo's had one year like that, just one year like that in College Station, and they obviously already had the Bama loss, much like this Ole Miss team, so similar in that, you know, like this Ole Miss team, maybe some 2020 A&M vibes. Like that's kind of the way that we're talking about them. And I would argue that Ole Miss has already had kind of that uh, historic season by their standards in 2021 as well. So just to see Ole Miss – punch above its weight from a talent perspective and A&M be the team that can't punch at its weight. That's got to be just a brutal pill for Jimbo Fisher to swallow because there's just no love lost there. Going back to the whole bro Bible thing with the $30 million recruiting class, all that stuff with Lane. Like what was the guy's name? Something toast. What was it? I hate to push you. He was like, yeah, whatever double toast has to say. Anyway, it's a burnt toast. Yeah. Burnt toast. Yeah. Loaf of bread? No, it wasn't. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, after a college football Saturday, going into the archives and digging out some story from 2022 is is not probably yeah. my strong suit. But yeah, the uh, that that rivalry is uh, it, it is ongoing, and right now Lane has the upper the upper hand. It's very very clear. Um, uh, I'll say this really quick on on the Lane thing. Um, you know, that was my big criticism of Lane is like doing the poor like what was me little guy thing and i think that he has a big opportunity we'll get into this I, well i won't be here on wednesday so there you go oh. this, this is my yeah. take for wednesday um so i think that he moving past that like he has to move past the what was me thing to win because i think we've seen him over and over again with the bama stuff this is you know lane kiffin a guy whose dad's monty kiffin who was the youngest nfl head coach in history got the usc job got the tennessee job infuriated everywhere he's ever been 
So I do think it's a little bit tough for him to look at Jimbo and be like, well, you you got a silver spoon in your mouth. It's like, dude, you should be the head coach sure. of the Pittsburgh Steelers right now if you were just mid, honestly. Like, not the Steelers because they obviously have Tomlin, but, like, the giant. Like, you you were on a track to be a dude who didn't have to work very hard to get success, and you just didn't want to work even that hard. So, like, yeah, I, I, I will say this, though. This Georgia game is such a great opportunity for him to prove that because if we're sitting there talking on Sunday about, oh, well, you know, the recruits that Georgia's got, they just had uh, – there's no chance for Ole Miss. No, like Lane has had jobs, and he had the opportunity to get the Auburn job this offseason where they have money, where they're stealing, you know, recruits from guys for, for stuff. So if he wanted money, he's had access to it for every stop but this one. I think this stop is perfect for him because the expectation isn't there. So seeing this week and how they play against Georgia is a ton for him because it's one thing to be the fun guy with the one-liners, da-da-da, oh, well, we can't beat Alabama. We don't have five stars. But if they can really make some noise against Georgia – I don't want to hear any of that stuff ever again because it's disingenuous to how talented Lane has been as a coach this year. As, as a play caller, as a guy who gets the right guys on the field, who staggers he's running back, he's three great receivers and a good tight end. I think that saying, well, you know, he just can't compete, I think it's disingenuous. I think that this year has shown us that Lane may have turned a little bit of a corner, and I think he needs to lean into that and say, hey, we're fine with a target on our back. We'll line up and play anybody. I agree. I, I think I, we have been critical of Lane and the lack of, of the lack of quality wins. I think he has done a lot this year to show that he knows what he's doing. His floor is higher than than what I projected. There's no doubt about it. And yes, no moral victories. Obviously, the conversation for Ole Miss only changes if they go into Georgia and win that game. But still, this has been a, a really solid year. And like we talked about with Mizzou. Could be a team that goes to a New Year's Six Bowl. They have that mm-hmm. type of potential, especially with Alabama and LSU already in the rearview mirror. Arkansas, Florida. Toby. Let's go. This is my dessert for the end of this. You started with the Jaden injury. We ended with this. Well, I love a Toby Keith game. You know this. Mm-hmm. Take your pick of who you want the Toby Keith game to be assigned to. Mm-hmm. Go up and down for Arkansas. Um, Sam Pittman, obviously, KJ Jefferson, Kenny Guyton, even a hundred euro check. If you want to go there, a little bit of a Toby Keith game for him. Um, I don't really think he gets to flex as much, uh, but still mm-hmm. Sam Pittman, obviously Toby Keith game for him to go into the swamp. Arkansas had never won in the swamp before. This is their first win against power five competition this year. Bull hopes you keep them alive. You delay that conversation you don't have to, to deal with the Sam Pittman hot seat talk in the way that you would have with a loss. Just a gritty, gritty showing. If you watch Sam Pittman afterwards in the postgame interview, just elated. He earned that cold beer. He really did. He's got to figure out the sunscreen situation on his head if he's not going to wear a hat with the thinning hair, but that's a different conversation for a different time. Let's start with the Arkansas side of this. When you lose six in a row, six football games in a row, at this level – I know we say fall, the speed of fall is one and a half speed, but six in a row is a long time to go without a win, to go without good vibes, especially when you don't have that, mm-hmm. that, you don't have that cake week matchup sandwiched somewhere in between there. Mississippi State was supposed to be their good vibes back on track game, and it wasn't. You can tell me all of these things of, well, you practiced well. Oh, we're right there. We're in all of these games. Until you actually see it for 60 minutes, you don't have any idea. And until you actually are on the right side of one of these things, those are just words that are going to fall on deaf ears at a certain point with 18 to 22-year-old kids. Even when you get out to a 14 to nothing lead on the road, first three minutes, Florida gets punched in the mouth. Arkansas looks like it's ready to go. You're telling me, we were texting, like, Arkansas has got all the good plays today. Um, Yep. Look, 
you still needed to see it for 60 minutes. Arkansas had to get back to the basics with Kenny Guyton calling plays. Calling plays for the first time, by the way. Shout out Claire, who is making her presence felt on this podcast. Um, apologies if you can hear that in the background. It's eh, it's eh, post-nap time, so she's a little bit fussy. Nobody needs to know that. Oh, in there, yeah. Yeah, everybody's been there Sunday morning, of course. But we finally got a game in which KJ and Rocket looked like the duo that we thought they could be. What a concept. With a guy who never called plays. I, Bro, I tweeted it took them eight games and two OCs to realize that KJ is huge and hard to tackle. <laughs> Dude, like, it was great to have Rocket back. We talked about that in the preview pod as well. But seeing Arkansas 192 second half rushing yards. This was what Arkansas was with Kendall Bryles running the offense. So many more design runs for KJ. I Look, I, I tip my cap to Arkansas because no matter how this turns out, and this doesn't mean that they've turned the corner and they're about to go to a bowl game. It doesn't mean that. But no matter how this turns out, they got good vibes with physical, resilient play. And Cam Little is also pretty freaking good. We should talk about that. Mm-hmm. The Arkansas kicker, who is just such a weapon for them, booms, kicks all over the place like it's no big deal. Arkansas still needs to win three more games, right, to get to a bowl game. But they're all at home. And it's Auburn. Right. It's FIU. And a Mizzou team that we just gave a lot of respect to. So I'm not saying that that's a given or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You're at least asking the question. And that's that beats the alternative. That so much beats the alternative instead of all these conversations about Sam Pittman's future. What if Broden doesn't catch that ball in the end zone and Arkansas has got to settle for a field goal and then it goes into double overtime and Florida finds a way to win? That could have definitely happened. That could have easily happened in this game. We could have been like, oh, another one-score loss for Sam Pittman. They had a valiant effort on the road, just like they did at LSU, just like they did at Bama. But who really cares? And instead, they finally did what they should have been doing weeks ago and close out a game and had the right attitude from start to finish. The right scheme from start to finish definitely helped them as well. The right game plan, all those different things. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Arkansas conversation – Let's let's ask this question before we get to the Florida side of this. Will who has a better chance to win out, Arkansas or South Carolina? Again, the Arkansas remaining schedule. All these are home games: Auburn, mm-hmm. FIU, where Mike McIntyre respecters in this podcast, Mizzou, or South Carolina's remaining schedule. At home, all at home as well. Mm-hmm. Vandy, Kentucky, Clemson. Better chance to win out. Who you got? I. I mean, it's got to be Arkansas just because I could see two potential losses for South Carolina. Like, you could see them losing to that Clemson team from last Saturday. Um, but yeah, I, from, from Saturday, like yesterday. So yeah, no, I, I think, I think Arkansas has a better chance. But like, I, again, I was just so nice to Mizzou. I'm going to upset so many fans today. I was so nice to Mizzou, but it would be the most Mizzou thing ever. This is just come out late against Arkansas. I do think that's, especially have, if they had the two in the barn and it was like, we got to win this one. I, you, 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 if you're a Mizzou fan, you're rooting against Arkansas. <laughs> oh, yeah. But like, Arkansas has played with LSU and Bama. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. not as if you, ex- you go into that being like, oh, well, Arkansas is just totally tanked against really good competition. They're better Mizzou, against good teams. Really. Yeah, Mizzou can be a really good team, and Arkansas can still play them for four quarters. So, But, yeah, I agree with you. I think I think Arkansas has the better shot. Still a long road to go for both those teams to be able to get there. But at least Arkansas set itself up with that opportunity. Um, let's talk about the Florida side of this. Speaking of bowl chances, ooh, this was brutal opportunity blown. We gave Arkansas credit. Arkansas deserves credit. Okay, so mm-hmm. – 
that that needs to be known. But Florida I, I will say really quick that Arkansas going down that first two, the first two touchdowns they had where they knifed down the field with all those created plays. Then they got the pick six off of Pearsall. I mean, well, they, they, they ripped it away receiver. from Pearsall for the second touchdown. It was a fumble that they ripped from him. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. The yeah. first touchdown, they went all the way down. And then yeah. the second touchdown, it was like, oh, not a pick six. You're right. It's a fumble six, fumble, whatever. Yeah. Not a scoop and score. Strip, anyway, strip like, six. We'll call it. Strip yeah. six. There yeah. you go. But like Pearsall is like one of the most shorthanded receivers in the SEC. Like that's his thing. So being able to do that to him is so impressive. I, I do like, I don't think that was Florida screwing up. That was good Arkansas. Now on the Florida. Yeah. Um, look, I think, I think it's fair to, to criticize Pearsall a little bit in that spot for, look, you got to be able to hold on to the football. Uh, any lost mumble in that spot when it doesn't look like a freak play. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. a little bit of criticism that's fair, but obviously, again, that's a great play made by a defender in that spot. Very aware play. Um, yeah. So this three game stretch to close is brutal. And Florida, look, I think it's lazy to say, oh, they were just looking ahead to that. And that's why they overlooked this Arkansas team. That's why they couldn't get defensive stops and, and why they couldn't tackle KJ in space. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to, to say that that was the plan. Florida is just in, an inconsistent team. They're, they are just an inconsistent team. And so it doesn't mean that they were looking ahead. They just haven't been particularly good for long stretches of the season. That's been the case throughout the Billy Napier era so far as we're nearing the end of year two, but you now are still sitting on five wins and you go to LSU, you go to Mizzou, and then you're home against Florida state. Are we sure Florida's getting to a bowl game? Are we sure? I am. Look, this defense has been bad. This defense has been bad, and you lose Shamar James, not Shamar Turner, not Shamar Stewart, Shamar James. Mm-hmm. Without him, they couldn't stop the run. It is so baffling what we know about the history of Florida's defense that taking out a Shamar James or like what they looked like with Ventro Miller out with mm-hmm. the Todd Grantham, like that Todd Grantham group, and then even you know last year as well, of like take one guy out and all of a sudden they just can't do anything. Georgia has embodied the next man up mentality and Florida has been the, Oh, we're screwed mentality. Like the lack of depth there is so baffling. And while I think I've given Austin Armstrong credit and patience at times, even that South Carolina game, they didn't, they didn't get to that place because the defense played really well. They got to stop late and that was big. But to think that this group has hit this point of the season and they are a total liability is a really tough thing to stomach when you look at that remaining schedule. And we'll wait and see about Jaden Daniels and his health. But if you got to play Jaden Daniels in Baton Rouge, good luck. If you've got to play Brady Cook and Mizzou in Columbia and that offense and all the things they can do and Luther Burden and all that, Cody Schrader, good luck. If you got to play at home against Florida State, against Jordan Travis, I know they're really banged up at receiver right now, but who knows? Maybe they're going to get healthy by the time that game rolls around. Good luck. Florida hurt itself so badly with this loss and how much if we do talk about Billy Napier not having a long tenure at Florida, it's going to be because of of games like this in which you had every reason to come out, get the bad taste of Georgia out of your mouth. And instead you just can't do that. We talked about South Carolina as this turn the corner game for them. You went on the road, you finally exercise those demons. And then just like that, you look up and you're like, Oh crap. Lost two in a row, 
defense got smashed each of the last three weeks. Um, this ain't great. This ain't great. And now there is not a gimme game on the rest of that schedule. They will be underdogs in each of those three games. And just getting to a bowl game to get to the place that they were at last year is going to be difficult. And Florida's got nobody to blame but itself. Yeah, I think that um, – and. <laughs> You know, man, from the beginning of the Florida thing, I think we've been pretty much right on the money. Just not too high, not too low. And I think that there's something about the media ecosystem. I don't know if it's the amount of Florida former players and grads in it, but when that South Carolina win happened, everyone was acting like it was this huge statement when I'm like, it was a two-win SEC team. Like, well, I, I, gave him, I gave him credit just because I, I think seeing the, the the way that it played out too with, with mm-hmm. Napier's guy, with 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 Mertz doing what he did down that – down the stretch in that game, the guy that he went to bat for that he plucked out of the mm-hmm. portal that said, I have the right evaluation on this guy. You don't. And seeing them get to that place where that game against Georgia felt meaningful. That I think is, was still significant with how poorly they had started off and to finally mm-hmm. not look like Basura on the road. I think they deserved credit. Did I maybe get ahead of myself by saying it was a turn the corner game? Yes. Looking back, I definitely did. Yeah, and I'm seriously not coming after you because I'm saying, I mean, there have been people in the preseason that have said this is an 8-10 win team, said it's a 2-3 win team both years. I think we've both been pretty much like 6-7, and seven, seven, like whatever. Like, But I, where I was going with that, like, so I, I never think I was wrong about my evaluation of Graham Mertz. I think he's a guy that, you know, is a system player. I think that his completion percentage is really misleading. I think that there were so many opportunities in this game for them to put it away. I mean, the funny thing about Arkansas is that they go up 14 nothing and then they just start panicking. <laughs> Like, and the funny thing about Pearsall is that he gets that ripped away from him. And that's why I just love him as a player. He returns like three punts. The angriest I've seen a modern college football player return. Pearsall's a dude. He, he's awesome, he, Dude, I love him. The fact that he was like, I gave I gave up points. I'm getting them back right yep. here. And he just just takes off. Like, you don't see that anymore. And on the other side, Arkansas is fair catching because that's what you do in 2023. And Pearsall's like, I don't care. They're not making me fumble again. And so they get two short fields to start the game. And it's like, okay, boom, we're back. Let's take control of this one. And like, yeah, like I said, it was a little bit of a losing contest. But yeah, I mean, it goes down to the end of this game where they go all the way down the field. And it's the most picturesque way that Florida will lose this game. Go all the way down the field. Uh, they get like a, 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 a delay of game because of a substitute, like a substitution infraction penalty. And because uh, it's always these weird little penalties, like it's like they don't like Billy Napier has like a C plus level of the rule book, but when you get into that like A A minus stuff, that like Kirby and Saban really start to cook you on. He has no concept of what that is. It's like, yeah, dude, if you're gonna do a sub package for a spike, you need to give the defense a chance to sub. And honestly, yep. you you have eight seconds. You don't need to do that. You need to just go into a standard formation and just throw the ball at the ground, or you know, do so, so, like have a play, whatever it is, have a plan for actually succeeding. And it feels like he is like a play ahead. We need to be two or three. This very less miles vibes here and so yeah like they get backed up that five yards and they missed the field goal i thought they made the field goal same thing went over the upright and if they don't get that five yards that field goal goes in um i, I think pretty clearly because their kicker's awesome and so that that's the thing is like not awesome he's good he's really good they always have a good kicker and, and no exception this year like so it, it's just so tough because arkansas despite i mean arkansas gained them by 100 yards but they just could not like two teams they just could not get get out of their own ways so as much as we want to credit arkansas this is arkansas the game's never called plays before and still like they're getting chance after chance after chance they, they had this one Two of the red zone drives just completely crashed and burned off of like bad penalties and dumb decisions. And you see Florida starting to like get their way back into this game. You're like, 
all right, this is it. You got Graham Mertz. You got this, you know, old quarterback who's going to complete a bunch of passes and get down the field. You got Billy Napier and then boom, nothing. And it's like when they need to test, test the defense down the field, they can't do it. Um, hey, ETN, we've been right about ETN from the time that dude stepped on the dang field. I'm tired of pretending we're not. Look at their stat lines, bro. 12 carries for ETN, 80 yards. 12 carries for Montel Johnson, 35 yards. I know at some point we got to save this dude for the NFL or whatever. This dude needs to save his job. All right. This dude needs to get ETN out there. That screen pass, bro. <laughs> he is so fun in space. And, and I get it. And there's a trust factor with Montreal Johnson. And he understands the scheme. And I, I totally understand it. That, that's, that's Napier's guy coming over from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. And he's had moments where he's – I think he's been a really good player. I, I do. So I, I'm not saying that he should just be cast aside. I just think ETN should be getting the lion's share of the carries, even though he is not necessarily built like a tank. I get it. He and his brother are, are not necessarily physically the same person. They're just not. But mm-hmm. that's that's going to be part of this this season with Florida that I think Florida fans will look back and be be really frustrated is, you know, you had skill player talent. Pierce Austin, awesome. Trey Wilson yep. is developing into one of these guys who are like, whoa, he is really taking that that step that you hoped he would in a prominent role as a true freshman. And this I don't running know back if we've team, ever seen or will ever seen this many good receivers in the SEC at this. It feels like everybody has two dudes. I, I mentioned that uh, on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, yesterday. The receiver play in the SEC this year is so phenomenal. I mean, it is mm-hmm. it is at a really, really high level. We could have multiple guys competing for the Bolitnikoff Award. You could have uh, a few guys that are getting 1,200-yard type seasons. It just feels like all SEC for the receiver position this year is going to be absolutely stacked in a way that I'm not sure that we've seen since probably 2019. And even then, this this group will kind of give that a run for its money. I'm not saying in terms of NFL potential, but just in terms of the year that they're having. And there's more depth. It's not just Bama, LSU, in the way that it kind of felt like it was in 2019. But, yeah, that, that's going to be frustrating for Florida to look back and think you had these weapons and you had Graham Mertz, a guy capable of distributing to those weapons, and you're still looking up and you're like, what are we? What are we? We're a five and four team that is wildly inconsistent that nobody can figure out. So I think that's the frustrating thing moving forward. I think they're going to get one of those. I think mm-hmm. they're going to get one. Do I know when it's going to come? Do I know what it's going to look like? No, I, I don't. But I, I still feel like they're probably going to get to a bowl game. But I don't even say I can't say that with my chest. I don't know if Florida fans can say that with their chest at this point. And that's that's reality. Yeah, I think, I mean, for this season, it's just all about, like, surviving. We talked about that from the jump. And next year's even harder. Um, I think Mertz has another year left, right? Or no? Everybody has another year left. Everybody well, has another year Yes, Mertz has Brady another Cook's year Brady Cook's going to be here till, you know. <laughs> anyway, so point being, um, yeah, I mean, I would probably just bring him back if that's an option for this hard schedule next year. But the big thing is, like, you know, selling that little bit of hopium to end the year, keeping the recruits in. Because the Billy's guys are good. Like, you keep saying, other than the guy you took from the ULL, uh, the rest of them are like the young guys it's kind of like lsu it's so frustrating it's just like I, I wish i could put you in a time machine and make you older and because like the defense has the dudes the offense has the dudes um so yeah i i, I will i mean if hey if nussmeyer's playing there's your win right there um but yeah i i think you're right i think they're gonna win one they're gonna go one and two in these games probably i could see them probably beating any of these teams especially fsu's played lately all of these teams have looked beatable mizzou again we're coming off of a great performance that was a loss but what i feel worse about the fsu thing fsu is one Last time they haven't won by at least three scores was like third week of September. 
Something like that. Yeah, but they're they're in these battles. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like every time I've watched an FSU, and look, I until yesterday, it was super advantageous for me to FSU to win out and be awesome. I was trying to root for them. They had some tough watches. Uh, so that's what I was saying. Like, Florida can jump on them early and kind of punch them in the mouth. Maybe they could do that. But I think they'll win one of the games for sure. And like I said, if Jaden's not playing, there it is. Um, yeah. and and you're gonna have enough to 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 tell that for next year and say, hey, next year will be completely different for you know the seventh straight year. Yep. But bad loss for Florida, really nice win for Arkansas to be able to do what it did on the road. And in the six-point spread that I was, we were all looking at going, why is that only six? Florida should be favored by like nine or ten or something like that. Uh, yep. Yeah, apparently Vegas knew what it was doing with that one too. Kentucky, Mississippi State, history be damned, Will. History be damned. <laughs> the road team wins this game for the first time since 2014. Kentucky wins in Starkville for the first time in 15 years. 15 years. Mm-hmm. Best offensive showing in Starkville in 17 years, a whopping 24 points. That's that's the best offensive showing for Kentucky. And by the way, seven of those points came via pick six. So um, take that for, for what it is. Devin Leary didn't look as good as he did against Tennessee, but he played well enough, and especially in the red zone where they didn't necessarily have to settle for those field goals early. That's where they've kind of quietly been really good this year. Kentucky, they haven't always gotten into those red areas, but still – I think they have been able to 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 convert a lot better than probably what that raw number would suggest. But a fourteen to three lead against Mississippi State that might as well be a hundred. I was just about to say that. Yep. I think I said ball game when that pick six happened. <laughs> it was fourteen to three, like the, the early in the second quarter or something like that. I was like, oh, that's all she wrote. Yep, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, three touchdowns in the last three games for Mississippi State without Will Rogers. He he's not the problem. I don't know that he's the solution either. This group wasn't good to begin with, but no Rodgers, no Woody Marks. They had zero chance of coming back against a decent Kentucky defense. Cole said on the broadcast that they didn't really get the vibe from Rodgers that he was getting super close to a return, which is a troubling thought. That is a really troubling thought for a team that I thought had a favorable path to a bowl game, at least somewhat favorable. They still are stuck on four wins. They're going to now – they have to win either at AM or home in the Egg Bowl. And I, I don't think you feel particularly good about either of those games. Um, that is not the place that Zach Arnett was hoping to be in year one. If you miss a bowl game and if this bowl streak comes to an end, um, firmly on the hot seat going into year two, especially with a favorable buyout, that's, that's going to be reality. I like Zach Arnett. Not crazy about his mustache that he's been kind of quietly working on for the last three, four weeks. But man, it's tough to sign off on it when you knew that the offense, you might you might have been in a significant transition, but you weren't going to get a ton of time. And even with a backup situation that I think is more favorable than most to have a guy who started SEC games and Mike Wright, it still just doesn't look good. It doesn't look good. And that's a, that's a problem. So yeah, on the Mississippi State side, I don't know that there's a any other takeaway besides that and besides, you know, Jet Johnson and, and this defense is going to continue to show up. They're going to continue to play, but they're just going to be put in tough spots. Kentucky bowling for the eighth consecutive season. It's not going to make national headlines. It's not Kentucky's a six and three football team, but in the post bear Bryant pre Mark Stoops era, that's 1954 to 2012. Kentucky had a total of 11 bowlers in that stretch. Mm-hmm. And you're now bowling for the eighth consecutive year that's good they righted the ship after a winless october you couldn't stomach four consecutive bad defensive showings that would have been a tough look 
And instead, mm-hmm. this is this felt more like a Mark Stoops type win. This this is the type of uh, and I shouldn't even say that because winning in Starkville is something that he had never done until Saturday night. But just there you go. Just in terms of the way that the game played out, a defensive touchdown, hold the the opposing offense, a struggling offense, just don't give them any signs of life or anything. Don't stick I, them in the Youngstown Steel Factory and just make them <laughs> escape. Put your money in this bank. Uh, that's a throwback for those who remember. OG listeners of the show know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. The remaining schedule for Kentucky. You've got Bama at home next week. A noon kick. Bama, Kentucky, noon kick. Weird. Just mm-hmm. weird. We're going to get a lot more of that stuff in the expanded SEC. But that's one of those games where I'm like, I have no real perspective on this and what will be dubbed the Bear Bryant Bowl. Then at South Carolina, at Louisville. I think it's good that Kentucky got the bull berth out of the way. Yeah. Very much more favorable. If you are still sitting there at five wins, maybe off of a humbling Alabama loss, if that's what's in the cards, maybe it's not in the cards and you're still looking up going, Oh man, we got to go on the road and win one just to get to a bowl game. Ah, that is, hmm, that's a tough, tough thing to sell. But this team, in my opinion, they have seven and five written all over it. That's that's probably what they're staring at. They have owned Louisville. They have owned Louisville in the past, which is beneficial. But year one of Jeff Brom, uh, it has been pretty good. It's been pretty darn good. They still have a path to the ACC championship sitting there with just one loss. They are like 13th right now. That's the little number by them on ESPN. So that would they're, actually be a Yeah, they were the last ranked Power 5 team with zero or one loss because they got blown mm-hmm. out uh, a few weeks ago. Can't, I can't remember who, who was their loss. Their loss was to Notre Dame, right? No, no, no. They wrecked Notre Dame. Oh, no, they wrecked <laughs> Jack Notre Dame. Harlow was in the crowd. You're yeah. right. You're right. Why am I blanking on who Louisville's loss was to? Do you have the schedule pulled up? No, yeah, it was random. Um, yeah, I'll pull it up in a second. But yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It's like there's a lot of, uh, you know, Tyler's from Spartanburg on the UK message, bur- message boards talking about stoops. You said eight uh, You said eight straight bull wins. Yep. Eight, eight straight bull berths. Or sorry, eight straight bull berths. I mean, again, you got to know where you're at. Uh, yeah, their bad loss was to Pitt, which who among us? Um, so it's a two win team. It's a two win team this year. Pat Narduzzi is just sitting there. He's just digging as deep as he can possibly dig himself into in terms of a hole, just so that yeah. he can pop out of it and go, I'm Pat Narduzzi. This is what I do. I embarrassed this is what him. I do. It wasn't Florida state, but yeah, the, the, no, Pat Narduzzi yeah. is destined for one of those. Yeah. So point being like, yeah, they have one loss. So it's like, yeah, that would be the most stoops thing ever. That would be the, how do you like me now game winning against Louisville? But yeah, like I said, a lot of Tyler's from Spartanburg and these message boards, man, this is not, you know, I it's, yeah, you have this expectation, but I do think that UK has been so consistently what they are. And that is not uh, a, a, a season long embarrassment, which I think we saw a lot of those teams. Uh, yeah. There were some highs, you know, there was some, there was some Andre Woodson. We always talk about him, but there, people like Kentucky fans don't want to talk about the lows that came before Mark Stoops. And yeah, you could talk about, oh, there are these weird blowout losses, whatever. Yeah, I get it, man. But at the same time, you're just kind of, it, I think they're a great fit for one another. So I just, I just wanted to say that it's like, it's, it's when you have a team like Georgia and you're not willing to put forth the same resources that they are, or you just, you know, that's Georgia's just a different beast. You're not competing for the SEC East, which won't even exist next year. Feels like a like a ridiculous expectation to have year in and year out. They've had two teams that have been, you know, 10, 11 win teams that have, that have really represented well, and they've been elite teams that have played great defense. I think this team has an identity. And in 2023, when Eric, we got 10 new offensive coordinators, we got all this stuff going on. At least you can hang your hat on that in transition. So just be happy with Stoops. I, I hate to be that guy that's like, accept it. But this is the type of win that, like you said, sometimes like old Kentucky might have just puked on their shoes. 
I, I agree. And there is something to be said in college football as a whole for fan bases who can appreciate a floor instead of criticize a ceiling. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Kentucky fans for the most part, and every, every fan base has, has those who are just never going to be satisfied. But I think Kentucky has relatively good perspective on who they are. And I think it's still fair to be disappointed. I think there are still elements of this team mm-hmm. that are not what you hoped they would potentially be with the receiver room with, with Leary as a whole and, and all that. But still, I, I think getting to that place is something that Kentucky fans will, will appreciate and being able to get over the hump in Starkville, which, which has just been a house of horrors for them for a while. Um, I, right. I think they will definitely feel good waking up on Sunday morning. Okay. Um, game of the week in the sec, Auburn Vandy. If you watch this game, here's what I hope. First of all, I hope, you are a fan of one of these teams or you had gambling interest because if once were, again, if you have gambling interest on this game, go touch grass. <laughs> no, you know what? That's okay. If you get a read for, you know what? I think, I think there's been a little bit too much disrespect. Auburn needs to be more than a 12 and a half point favorite. Maybe Clark Lee's team is going to finally cover a spread. I, who knows? Um, and they covered against mm-hmm. Georgia. So I guess I shouldn't say that, but I hope that if you watch this game with any sort of rooting interest, or it was just on in the background, I hope you watch Jark West Hunter be awesome. And that's yeah. about it because he had such great patience on his runs. He looks like he is really rounding into form after a really slow start. And it was a weird off season for him for a story that I'm not going to get into on these airways without knowing more about what actually happened with all that stuff. You can find out what I'm talking about if you want to search the internet, but a guy who you're thinking he is going to hate his life for a bit because of how much this passing game sucks and he's going to see all these loaded fronts and all these loaded boxes. He has really shown off the vision and the explosiveness that we were kind of thinking he could have as the number two, the complement to Tank Bigsby. Um, and he took advantage of a Vandy defense that desperately needed C.J. Taylor out there. And even with him out there, it wouldn't have probably made much of a difference. But without him, they didn't have much of a chance. I told Auburn fans that they were allowed to celebrate a bowl berth with a win at Vandy. And I stay true to that. So Auburn fans, Mm -hmm. I know it's only win number five, but congratulations. You are going bowling. Celebrate that. Cheers. Pop a little extra champagne in your Sunday mimosa, depending on when you're listening to this. Hugh Freeze, Will, he said he didn't sleep last night because he kept thinking about how much Georgia and Mizzou played in dogfights at Vandy. I have questions. If Freeze did that not, guy, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. Look, there's, and somebody's going to make jokes out there. That's not what I'm here to do. Okay. Like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, if Hugh Freeze can't sleep before Vandy, he probably hasn't slept on a Friday night game since like ahead of a Saturday game on Friday night. He probably hasn't done that since week three. Right. But then again, yeah, that was Samford. And he was probably up all night thinking about what they Get did in Florida. Florida. So I, ugh. Maybe the Cal game week two was the last time he got some Friday night sleep, but weird body they clock. should have been game. worried about that. <laughs> Look, that, no, the body clock, I think there's no way he got sleep on the West Coast. He was definitely not in his element out there. Week one against UMass, his last good Friday night sleep before a game. Uh, they, uh, they almost beat A&M. <laughs> I don't think he slept well before that either, though. Yeah. Like, oh, they got 100. 6,000 people at Kyle Field? There's no way. Um, no, no, no. Sleep- I'm saying oh, uh, UMass almost beat A&M that one year. It was good, last year. Last year. Good point. Okay. Yeah. Didn't sleep before that. Plus, it's, it's his return to the SEC. There's no way he slept before that. So Facts. 
maybe the bye week is the only time that Hugh Freeze has had a good night of Friday sleep since August. And who knows, maybe it's training camp. You got a lot going on. Maybe it's July. Maybe, maybe he just assumes Friday is not going to be sleep night in the Freeze household. And he's just going to stay up all night. That's, that's more of a June, July type deal than an mm-hmm. August, September, fall sort of thing. So poor Hugh. Got to gotta find get the white noise involved. Do what you got to do, man. We'll, uh, he's just pacing a single line in Auburn's like football facility. He's just getting deeper and deeper every week. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if they make carriers for adult human beings who can sit in the back seat of a car and be driven around a neighborhood until they fall asleep like they do for babies, but invest in one. I don't know. Need that Friday night sleep. But anyway, Auburn, bowling, win number five. It's official. Hey, man, in the preview of this, I said that everybody felt like they could believe. And don't you know what? Vandy caught a pick six, and we're down 14-7. They believe for like 30 seconds. That's all I'm saying. That pass from Peyton Thorne was putrid. Oh, my God. That was <laughs> – I don't want to say that overshadows the fact that they actually got some receivers open in space, and they did some good things in the passing game. But they, they had drops in that one, too. And it was, it was not a clean game from the Auburn passing attack, and that throw itself was – disgusting the type of thing that ugh. you can do it against Vandy, I guess, and get away with it, but pretty much nobody else at the power five level. Um, let's not spend any more time talking about that game. Let's end with some Yarna. Well, let's do it. Yarna Bama should jump Texas and be ranked number seven. Uh, I mean, I feel like Texas beat Bama at home. I feel like that's pretty. Yep. Yep. Didn't change. Didn't change. Look, Bama gets credit for beating LSU. Add to the one loss resume. There's no way they should jump Texas. There's no, yeah. Plus, Texas, Texas should be a really good Kansas State team and did it with a backup quarterback. So, t- to me, they were they were digging into that argument on SEC final and Dari and Watson and, and CD. They're all kind of going back and forth about it. And I, I sided with CD on that. I'm like, you had the head-to-head game. Like, they, they played each other. They went into Bama. They won that game by, by 10 points. And I, don't give me this. If they played tomorrow, this is what the spread would be. We're not ranking teams based on spreads. Sorry, Nick Saban. We're mm-hmm. not doing that. So I agree. I, I would say I would say nah. Bama should not jump Texas and be ranked number seven. Um, yeah or nah, Malik Neighbors will win the Bolitnikoff Award as the best receiver in college football. I I hate to be such a bummer. I if JD keeps playing with Nuss, I mean, we'll see. I think we'll see a little bit more of the Luther Burden element to his game if Nuss plays because hey, he was four speeding. He almost it was a little bit of the Max Johnson his buddy vibe. He was mm. trying to get neighbors that ball, so maybe he'll end up with like two hundred yards and like three losses. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, maybe I, I just it's hard to see what the offense is going to look like next week. I was looking this up a few weeks ago, and this is not really taking that into to context, and it would change probably the conversation about him, but. I think there is a really good chance that neighbors is going to be the sixth player in the sec to average at least 120 receiving yards in the 21st century. So let me mm-hmm. repeat that sixth player in the sec to average 120 receiving yards in the 21st century, five of them, or I guess he would be the seventh player. Six have done it. Five of them have won the Bolitnikov, and the one who didn't was 2020 Elijah Moore who mm-hmm. didn't win the Blitnikoff because Devontae Smith won the Heisman that year, won the Blitnikoff, won everything. So right. him getting to that place and Roma Dunze is going to be a guy that's in that conversation as well. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr., of course, is going to be part of that conversation. But the things that Malik Neighbors is doing, special. So, mm-hmm. so special. Do not tell me that's just, oh, it's a system thing. 
He is getting open everywhere. He makes every type of catch. He has trust in his quarterback. He is a scheme that works for him. Yes, obviously, but his physical abilities, he has taken that next step and he has been even better than what I thought he was going to be in the preseason. A monster game in a losing effort. I think he ends up with it. So I'm going to go Yahweh for that one. Yeah, I said in the preseason, you know, Malik Neighbors might be the only LSU player who's come into a season with high expectations and exceeded them. And I think that's fully accurate. I think every LSU, LSU is so famous for you get a freshman who balls out. Oh, he'll be better as a sophomore. No, you get a sophomore who balls out. He'll be better. as you. No, this dude has gotten better every year of football. And it's crazy to see. And I'm just excited about his future. Chase, I would put Jamar Chase in that category. And, you know, 20 remember he opted out. Well, 2019, like coming into 2019, yeah, yeah, yeah. after he showed some promise as a true freshman, was kind of a, a sparingly used guy. And then Justin Jefferson was was their one in 2018. Right. And there were higher expectations because of obviously the offense they were playing in. But other than that, you're, you're right. There, there are a lot of like guys. Like post-breakout, though. That's what I'm saying. Like guy oh, breaks okay. out. And that next year we think, oh, it'll be just as good if not better. Like Booty was a good example of that. Oh, yeah, dude. He pencil me. He broke the freshman. Yeah. Da, da, da. Nope. Trash. So, like, so like, I, and Jamar, like I said, he might have been fine. He was smart to opt out, obviously, because he ended up with Joey B. It worked yeah. out. I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying when a guy breaks out, usually he's not as good. So we're seeing it, honestly, with Harold Perkins this year. At, at every – the guy will break out, and then it'll be a little bit worse the next Stingley. year. We expect them. Stingley is another one. We plan on him being just as good, if not better, to, to when you forecast the team. Don't do that with LSU. This is the one guy who's ever done it. Yeah, no, that, that is true. The expectations, he has certainly surpassed them. Last one, yeah or not, Tyler from Spartanburg is getting season tickets on the 50. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Give him a week. Give him another loss. He'll be right back at Jimbo's throat. Or Davos' throat. Yeah, yeah. Or, sorry, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. not Jimbo, Davo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with these characters we cover, man. Lock of the week. Seven and three. Seven and three. Let's go. Yep. That was obvious. That was that was never going to knock in a hit, although I did have some moments on the stretch of that one where your boy was a little bit nervous with Clemson uh, and specifically Tyre from Spartanburg. They had my back on that one. That was a lot. Week 10 was great. Yeah. Week 10 was awesome. Week 11, all SEC teams, all SEC on SEC matchups. It's one of two weeks this year in which we get that. So Will will not be here for the midweek pod, for the preview pod, but we will still have a ton to get through. Not sure who I'm going to have on just yet, but we will probably still have a ton of content. Maybe we'll get two interviews again, just for the heck of it, just because that's what we do these days. If you have not, leave us a five-star review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can watch every episode of the Saturday Down South podcast, which is presented by Texas Pete. Follow us on the app, formerly known as Twitter, at the SDS pod, at Sat Down South, at CJ O'Gara, at Go So Hard. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.